Our reading today is uh, from Matthew 23, Matthew 7, starting at verse 13. And this is on page 860 uh, of the Pew Bibles. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So, you'll recognize them by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house, yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. This is the word of the Lord. I'd like to add my welcome to you. My name's Kevin. I get to be one of the pastors here uh, for this congregation that gathers here every week. And it's my call this morning to unpack for us this passage, which concludes Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. As a church, we are working our way slowly but surely through Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's biography of the life of Jesus of Nazareth. And uh, in chapters 5 through 7, we have what is the longest uh, recorded teaching of Jesus as he uh, taught his disciples. It's important that as we conclude the Sermon on the Mount, I just want to uh, reset the context 
for us of, uh, of the Sermon on the Mount within Matthew's Gospel as we're going to con- keep continuing on. It, Jesus is ministering in Galilee, which is a re- region in the north uh, of Israel. And, uh, and in chapter 4, Matthew says that Jesus went around uh, and the summary of his teaching was repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near kingdom of heaven has come near therefore you must repent in verse 4 verse 23 he says that jesus went around preaching the good news of the kingdom and matthew uh, throughout these early chapters of his gospel has is comparing jesus to moses moses was one of the leaders of the israelites in uh in the old testament he is the one who led uh, the, uh, God's people from Egypt out of slavery into the wilderness towards the promised land. Moses was not able to enter the promised land. And, uh, and so Jesus is uh, presented and compared to Moses throughout Matthew's gospel. That you know, the, the, In the birth narrative, Matthew highlights that, um, that Jesus, uh, through, you know, Mary and Joseph had to escape to Egypt because of King Herod, and it says, out of Egypt, I'll call my son. Just like Moses called out of Egypt. The genealogy of Jesus, really the temptation of Jesus in uh, the wilderness was all compared to and has similarities to Moses. And, and you may know that as Moses led God's people into uh, the wilderness, into the desert, they came to a mountain, Mount Sinai, and from that mountain, Moses goes up, he meets with God, and he comes back, and he brings the law of God to the people, saying, this is God's will for us. This is the life of flourishing that God would intend for us. And so now Jesus, similarly to Moses, on a mountain, calls his disciples up and says, this is the way of the Lord. This is the way that leads to life. This is the way that life is meant to be, let, to, to be lived. This is the way of flourishing. Walk in this way, the good way. This is, the, this is how to live in line with reality, the reality that our maker has for us. So Jesus is describing here in the Sermon on the Mount from From the hilltop, he's called his disciples to him. Those who have confessed him as Messiah and Lord, those who have devoted their lives to his teaching, he's saying, here in the kingdom of heaven, this is what life is like. This is what it means to live with, with me as your king, with God as your king, with the God as the one who has the right to say, this is the way, walk in this way. This, this um, This is how to live. This is the way that leads to life. Now, we know that the crowds, Matthew always distinguishes between three groups of people, the disciples, those who, are, who have become committed followers, and crowds, those who are kind of hanging around on the outskirts, wondering, they're curious, they're, they're exploring maybe, maybe seeking truth of some sort. The crowds obviously are hearing in because as, as we read in verse 28, the crowds were astonished at this teaching. They compared it to the, the teaching that they had heard from their Scribes, which is the third group, the religious leaders of the day, those who are suspicious of Jesus, who see Jesus as a threat to their power. And so Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is saying, here is how to live life in the kingdom of heaven. 
This is how to live life with God as your king. The kingdom of heaven is here. Repent. Turn towards it. Change your mind about this. Turn towards God. It's here and it's near. But, but also, it's clear in, in our teaching from today that the kingdom of heaven is here and it's, and it's now and it's near. But there's also a sense in which not yet fully arrived. It's, it's, it's now, but it's also then. It's, it's here, but it's also coming. It's near, but it's also not yet fully here. Because he's talking about a day where it will be determined whether you're entering the kingdom of heaven. He's just... The, the verse before our passage is really a summary verse of the, of the whole Sermon on the Mount. We, know, we call it the golden rule. Jeff touched on it last week. You know, do to others as you would want them to do unto you. And Jesus' ethic then is, is this ethic of love, of other-centered love. It's, it's similar to, you know, as, uh, as Jeff described last week, that there were other moral teachers. There was a rabbi, Hillel. There was, uh, there was Greek philosophers, there was actually Chinese philosophers earlier than Jesus, whom we know have a similar teaching, but it, we call it the silver rule because it's, it's more negative. It says, don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. What you hate others doing to you, don't do that to them. It's the ethic of don'ting, right? It's the ethic that you can obey as long as you stay in bed all day. As long as you don't do anything, you can obey this ethic. But the ethic of Jesus is the ethic that's motivated and animated and energized by love, by active love. By not just an ethic of don'ting, just stay away from bad stuff, just sin manage, like sin management, just cut these bad things out of your life. No, it's the ethic of doing good. Proactively, at cost to yourself, seeking the will and the good of others and so Jesus is saying a life in the kingdom of heaven summarized is this ethic of doing good of actively seeking love of agape love that's the Greek word this God-like love this love that seeks the good of others at cost to ourselves and so it's an ethic of activity of seeking actively to do good to others And so this passage, now that we come to, is this summary, this conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount. Enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is saying. Now, enter it now. Live life in the kingdom of heaven now, so that on that day, verse 22, that day, what's that day? That's the day that you will fully enter the kingdom of heaven. So that on that day, you'll enter it. It's the day of the Lord. It's Jesus' day. It's the day of his return. See, the kingdom of heaven is here. But it's also then. It's it's here, but it's coming. See, the day is coming where Jesus... Where's Jesus in this, right? He's the judge. Jesus is the one who is, as the Apostles' Creed says, going to return to judge the living and the dead. Jesus is here as as the one who is the doorkeeper to the kingdom of heaven in its fullness. He's claiming great authority 
And he's saying, enter the kingdom of heaven now. So that on that day, on the day when he returns, on the day where the kingdom of heaven is displayed in all of its fullness, that that day you can enter it and experience life to the full. That day, the end of this age, the beginning of the age to come, the fullness of God's kingdom that's inaugurated now and already, but is still coming at Jesus' return, when he will make all things new, when he will heal all creation, where death will be no more, and no more sorrow and sadness or tears, no more suffering and oppression, hatred and cruelty. It will all come to an end, and there will only be justice and peace, and only righteousness and love and joy in its fullness. Enter the kingdom of heaven now so that on that day you can enter the kingdom of heaven. And he, he's saying this with, with um, a couple of pictures, right? Depending on how you count, three or four pictures um, in, in this passage. He talks about two paths, two gates. The, the narrow gate and the, the broad, the wide gate. And the, the narrow road, the wide road. He talks about two trees by which you can distinguish whether a person is a, is a sheep or a, a wolf in sheep's clothing. These two trees with good fruit or bad fruit leading to two people who says either you're entering into the kingdom of heaven or Jesus saying I never knew you. And two builders two, building two homes that either withstand a storm or are destroyed by it. There's this binary in all of these passages, right? There's a, it's the, the, the narrow road or the wide road. It's the, and, and, and there's no in-between. You're on one of these two roads. You're either a good tree or a bad tree. You're either a wise builder or a foolish builder. There's no like gradient here. There's a binary. Jesus is saying, you're in the kingdom of heaven or you're not. And there's a judgment at the end. There's a, the, the road that leads to life or the road that leads to destruction. The, the tree that's cut down or the tree that bears fruit and remains. There's the, the, the house that withstands the storm or the house that does it. There's, there, there's a decision point. There's this, we don't like binary. We don't like, you know, hard categories, but Jesus has hard categories here. We don't like judgment and... and, and um, Hard calls. Jesus is making hard calls here. I struggled with how to unpack this um, passage for us this morning. I felt the Lord saying, just describe for these people that I love, who I want to enter my kingdom, I love them. I want them in my kingdom. Describe for them what it means to enter the kingdom of heaven. The scriptures came to mind that really opened this passage for me in light of what the whole New Testament has to say. You know, Jesus is talking about here entering the kingdom of heaven, which is actually in, in um, which is, is language that's very familiar. If you, if you know Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call those the synoptic gospels. They're, they're similar gospels. Jesus talks a lot about the kingdom of God in, in Mark and Luke and the kingdom of heaven in Matthew. They're the same, means the same thing. In, in John's gospel, he talks a lot about eternal life. 
John, in his letters, talks a lot about eternal life. The Apostle Paul, who unpacks the teaching of Jesus for us in many of the letters in the New Testament, often talks about salvation, being saved. And there are passages where each of these terms are used almost interchangeably. Entering the kingdom of God, eternal life, which, you know, when you hear the word eternal life, you're like, oh, eternal, forever, life that never ends, life everlasting. Which actually, eternal life means life of the eternal, life of the eternal one, life of God in you. That does last forever. And salvation. Being saved, being rescued. There's passages, Matthew 19 is one of those passages, we'll get to that eventually. Um, But uh, there are a number of passages where these terms are used almost interchangeably. Entering the kingdom, being saved having eternal life. Jesus, he says, Jesus says that he came to seek and to save the lost. God sent his one and only son into the world so that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. Jesus came declaring that it is the Father's will to give you the kingdom. He wants to ent- us to enter the kingdom. In all of, for all of us, our natural-born condition is described throughout the New Testament in, in various pictures and images. We're spiritually dead. Unresponsive to God. Not filled with life where you can respond and interact. Spiritually dead. At odds with him. Having fallen short of his glory, having fallen, not living into the vision that God had for humanity when he made us, having fallen short of that vision our creator has. Foreigners to the covenant community, without hope and without God in the world, lost, adrift, disoriented, slaves to sin. Sin is a power that makes us addicts, that makes us self-centered. That natural-born condition, as the New Testament describes it, is one of the most easily verifiable diagnoses in history. Just look around. Just look within. Look at the world that we live in, a world of war and of conflict, a world full of self-centeredness. And Jesus comes on the scene announcing the kingdom, inviting us in. That the kingdom of, of heaven is here and now. Come and enter in to the kingdom. Jesus invites us to himself that he would heal us and free us, that he would forgive us and lead us into life, eternal life, life to the full, that he would bring us to God and that he would unite us to himself, that we would experience union with him, a a, a new life, a new heart, a new nature, healing and forgiveness, freedom and restoration. And he dies on the cross as God himself takes our sin on himself and rises again to new life as a foretaste of the renewal of all things. 
And Jesus now is seated at God's right hand, sending his spirit now to live among us as we await his imminent return to bring his kingdom in all of its fullness. And he invites us and continues to invite us to come to him, to be with him, to trust in him, to trust him to save us, to trust him to heal us, to trust him to bring us to God, to trust him to unite us and to restore us into the image of God that he intends for us when he made us, to trust him to forgive us. And so when you enter the kingdom of heaven, when you experience eternal life, when you experience salvation, when you trust in him and you come to him and say to him, you are indeed Lord, you are my Lord, you receive justification, the forgiveness of sins. You receive redemption, freedom from sin, freedom from slavery to sin. You receive union with Christ. He unites us to himself. And we become as what Peter, we become what Peter says in his letter. He says you be, we become participants in the divine nature, this divine nature of love, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit loving one another we become participants in that as we are united with jesus and we enter in what the ancients called the dance of god as they circle one another in love and self-giving agape we are adopt we receive adoption children of god we receive the holy spirit to bring about an inside out transformation as he gives us regeneration new life new birth a new heart a new nature that is entering the kingdom of heaven. That is receiving salvation. That is receiving eternal life according to the New Testament. And so Jesus in this passage is saying, when you come to me, when you trust in me, when you believe in me, when you become my disciple, when I am your Lord, you will change. Your life will change. Necessarily and inevitably and naturally, as naturally as a peach tree produces peaches and not apples. If my spirit is in you, if my spirit lives in you, has given you a new nature, you will produce the fruit of the spirit. And the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control little nod to Camp Cornerstone there. Thanks for making me do it all by myself. <laughs> when the Spirit of God lives in you and he gives you a new nature, a new heart, and he, the fruit of the Spirit starts inside and comes out. Love and joy and peace. Eternal life. Jesus says this is eternal life, knowing the one true living God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent to know him, to know God and be known by him. And so Jesus says, come to me so that you can have life and life to the full. To be Jesus' disciple is to be with him and to learn from him, to relate to him, to communicate with him, to experience life with him and relationship with him. And the rea so, so he's been teaching in the Sermon on the Mount that the reality of the kingdom life is a hidden life. It's an inner life, right? Inner life with the Father who sees in secret. But it's a, not a life that can be hidden because it changes our whole life. 
It changes what you love. It changes what you trust. It changes what you live for. It changes what you treasure. And so the Sermon on the Mount says, yes, cut out sins. Cut out the sins of murder and and anger and lust and adultery and anxiety and lying and vengeance. But cut them out at the source, in the heart. At the heart level. You need a new nature. You need me living in you. You need transformation from the inside out. And so the narrow gate is obedience to the way of Jesus and the trust in Jesus that is necessary for it. The broad gate, the the, the broad way is, is doing what I want. I will go my way. That's the popular way. I'll decide what's right for me. I'll do what I want to do. But the fruit and the fruit of the good tree is obedience to the commands of Jesus, obedience to the way of Jesus, which flows out from the kind of person you have come to be when being with him. From the inside out, which comes from the new nature, that he's made you into an apple tree, and therefore you make apples. He's made you into a spiritual person, therefore you produce the fruit of the Spirit. And he's contrasted that with fake discipleship, with outward deeds, which can even seem impressive, like doing miracles and casting out demons and being prophetic, but eventually the inward realities overwhelm. I never knew you. You're a law. You're you're living in lawlessness. You did not do my Father's will. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father. And what's the will of the Father? It begins with believing on the one in whom he has sent. John chapter 6. Those who enter the kingdom of heaven are those who do the will of my Father. Those who step into the flow of God's ways. Jesus is crystal clear on this. That's why he repeats it like three or four times here. Not everyone who's, it's not your profession. I don't care what you say with your lips if you're not backing it up with your life. If your life is not producing the good fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, if you are not obeying the ways of of my Father in heaven, if you are not obeying everything that I have commanded you in this Sermon on the Mount and elsewhere, you are but demonstrating that you've never entered the kingdom. You've never come to me. You've never experienced the transformation of God's Spirit. But if you trust in Him, and when you come to Him, and you confess Him as Lord, and you actually relate to Him as Lord It's revealed by your actions. Again, not by your declarations, not by your profession, not by what you say, but what you do. To enter the kingdom of heaven, Jesus must actually be our king. Those in the kingdom of heaven will acknowledge Jesus as king. And that's not merit, it's not earning your way into the kingdom, but if you trust him, if you are his disciple, if you're saved by him, if you have eternal life, you will grow increasingly less self-centered. You will grow increasingly more loving. You will increasingly obey and walk in the way of Jesus. 
You will put into practice the teachings of Jesus, the way of life that he gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. And so if Jesus is my king, but I don't grow in generosity, if I'm not storing up, if I don't grow in and refusing to store up treasures on earth, but storing up treasures in heaven, if I'm not actively seeking reconciliation urgently, if I'm not taking drastic action to put sin to death in my life, if I don't pray, if I don't do all that the Sermon on the Mount is saying, I'm but proving that I've never come to him as Lord. I've not entered the kingdom of heaven. I've not trusted him. I've not come to him. I've not received eternal life. As we're discipled by Jesus... We learn to live in the kingdom of heaven as the life of God flows through us, as the Spirit of God animates us in the way of love. As Dallas Willard says, we learn from Jesus how to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. Discipleship to Jesus, learning from Jesus how to live my life as he would live my life if he were I. There is this inside-out transformation that happens in disciples of Jesus so that sacrificial love, agape, actually characterizes the very core of our personality. We have received that love of the Father and then it flows through us and we live in it. Or as Colossians 3 says, put off the old way, the anger and wrath and malice and slander and filthy language and lying and and put on compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and forgiveness. See, the way of Jesus is a way of, it's a holistic way. It's a whole way of life. it, It changes the way you relate to money. It changes the way you relate to your sexuality. It changes how you deal with power and a deal. It changes how you deal with your time and spend your time and how you, how you live into your vocation. And as we press on in this narrow way, it's not an easy way. It's not a popular way. We will together make that invisible kingdom visible. That kingdom of heaven, that invisible reality will become visible as we walk in the way of Jesus. And we will give together as a community, give expression to a kingdom where we forgive one another and we live in unity and love. We'll give expression to a kingdom where we serve one another regardless of our status. We'll Give expression to a kingdom where orphans are placed into family, where outcasts and those looked down upon are welcomed around our table, where, where widows and lonely are called, are cared for. We'll give expression to a kingdom where generosity lifts up those who are poor, where women are not objectified but are honored as image bearers of God. We're a kingdom where we live in unity as a multi-ethnic family, where those oppressed by demons are delivered and those who are sick are healed and cared for, where enemies are loved. And agape, love, is the ultimate reality because God is agape. The narrow way, the difficult way, calls for perseverance. We may suffer as we await that day, the great day, the new creation, our forever home, the return 
of our Lord and our Savior Jesus, when the dwelling place of God will be with humanity. And God will be with us, and he will be our God, and he will wipe away every tear from our eye. This morning, I invite you to life, to real, authentic discipleship to Jesus. That is the way that leads to life, and life to the full. Come to him. Be with him. Learn from him. Put his words and his teaching into practice. Pay less attention to the declarations of your mouth than the actions of your life. Which is why Jesus told his disciples when we last saw him on earth to go and make disciples, teaching them to obey everything he's commanded us. Maybe you've made a profession of faith. You've You've spoken words with your mouth that you've not backed up with your life. And who among us is not guilty of that? The invitation this morning is to come to Jesus again and say, yes, Lord, you are my Lord. I want to surrender my life again as a living sacrifice. Someone once said, it's a living sacrifice that keeps crawling off the altar, so we've got to keep bringing it back again and again, and laying our life down and saying, yes, lead me in your way. Fill me with your spirit. Bring me into your kingdom. Jesus, because no one else can. So the worship team comes uh, to lead us in, in, in song. I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to stand and receive a prayer from Colossians 1. I want to pray for myself and for you. Pray over us this prayer. Father, we are asking that we may be filled with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that we may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to you, bearing fruit in every 